With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast where Chelsea have just lost a sixth straight Wembley final. Joining me to look back at just a, a another grim, predictable afternoon at Wembley Stadium. It's Mr. Daniel Charles at Sunday Chelsea. Daniel, stupid question. How are we doing? As well as you could be after a sixth uh, final loss at Wembley. Third in a row for me watching us lose to Liverpool. So I, I guess... Still here, still alive. The world didn't end. We we move, I guess. We we woke up today. We woke up today. And we and we move on. Um, as I always do, guess I get them to give themselves a plug. Now, if things have gone to plan, and you'll have heard this on Apple Podcast, people, you've already heard that you'll give himself a plug if if he had reason already played. But in case they're not, dude, and as as I always do, guess anyway, give yourself another plug. So in the space of about a couple first couple of minutes of this podcast being published, they've heard more of you than me. Uh, give yourself a plug where people can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, as usual, uh, Son of Chelsea, at Son of Chelsea is is the best way to find me across socials on YouTube, regular videos about Chelsea FC, on podcasts, where I know that there's been a lot of people who listen to the show that way. Uh, so you can find it on all your favorite podcast platforms, just searching Son of Chelsea. And yeah, across Instagram, TikTok and X at Son of Chelsea as well. Lovely, lovely stuff. Daniel links will be in the description below. Um then let, 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 before we get into the game and sort of break down what happened, just, you know, thoughts. It's a sixth final loss in a row at Wembley. We've only scored once, I believe, once in those six six finals. Uh, we've only scored one open play goal. If you take one step, one fact further, it's only one open play goal. And our last seven finals, obviously, the final before that, before the six was uh, that Man United win in 2018, which was a penalty. But, you know, we did actually win that game. So let's not include that. But one one open play goal. One goal in our last six finals. Daniel, is this the worst of a lot? Because to be honest, before the game started, even with Liverpool's injuries, I was still looking at that starting 11 and going, that's still a good team. That's still going to be a tough game. But it kind of felt that basically the longer the game went on and the deeper the game went, mm. the worse it kind of got if Chelsea didn't end up winning just because the conditions just logically just favoured us so much as the game went on. Liverpool had played midweek. They were down to bare bones. They were hit early with Graven Birch's injury or anyway, which to, to add to that. Is this the worst of the defeats? Because I I didn't really go into the game yesterday confident we'd win like I had maybe some previous finals out of these six, namely, you know, Leicester one and, and Arsenal under under Frank before that. It just did feel like as the game went on, understandably, my expectation shifted, everyone's expectation shifted. And by the end, especially given how that game ends up panning out, it's just for worse because you kind of just left thinking one, it was there for the taking, but actually what we saw after 90 minutes and we got onto LA was was pretty much a disgrace, really, wasn't it? It for me personally, and again, this is a very subjective point of view, it isn't the worst. 
and you know the one for me the one that stands out out of the six that's the worst was the game I wasn't at and that was Leicester Uh, that to me still feels like the worst because you know Chelsea have had the misfortune compared to some other clubs of getting into a lot of cup finals recently and facing a team better than them or of equal quality to them you know, I look at, say, Arsenal in recent years when they've got to an FA Cup final when they've had the fortune of playing Hull or, or um, Aston Villa. Not the Aston Villa of today, but the Aston Villa of years ago. So Chelsea at times have come up against usually a very good team in a final. And Leicester, sure, it's not the Leicester in the championship, but it was it was a Leicester team that... And, it, and we'd beaten Man City to get to that final. And it was a team under Tuchel that had already reached a European Cup final by that point. So it was a better quality. (laughs) Yeah. And then of course, won won the cup itself a couple of weeks later. So that's a better team than this Chelsea team. And I don't know, like, I I feel like I should feel more hurt because of the way this one ended, but I don't. And I don't know if that's because, yeah, sure. We'll get onto extra time, but like, I'm not entirely shocked that the game played out in that way because if that if yesterday's game played out in 2021, I would have been more shocked. The game playing out the way it does now feels very in keeping with Chelsea over the last two years. So yeah, I, I, everyone's everyone's kind of um, pain threshold and sort of like the way they react to it is going to be different. I can't sit here and honestly say I feel worse today than I did after Leicester. Like after Leicester, I was absolutely gutted. Yeah, because also I think Leicester, we kind of probably all thought that was the more viable chance of winning winning a trophy. And it is, I think Leicester kind of gets away with one due to the fact that the Champions League final happens two weeks mm-hmm. after. Like literally people do kind of just forget that. And they said, yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. It was fair enough. And also we went kind of... 1-0 up against Arsenal a year earlier. Like we, we yeah. actually scored in a cup final the year before. Final. We And then um... that, that one is that one is like different because one, it's COVID. So we're not, the fans are not there. So it is a bit of a different experience. But also like from that memory of that game, Pulisic's hamstring goes as P gets injured, Pedro gets injured, Anthony yeah. Taylor wrongly sends Kovacic off. Like a lot of things did genuinely like go against us. Where you like, yeah, no, nah. but yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, no, let's let's just good shout. And I think genuinely, like, I mean, all six have not been nice. Let's just say, well, go to a, it's just like it'd be nice to just score a goal at Wembley, but like, yeah, mm. it's, it's been a painful experience. Then let's get into the game itself. Um, thoughts because I thought like Chelsea were like. All right, like it wasn't. I know a cup final is like you know it's quite hard to you know always like judge a performance etc. And you know cup finals you don't always necessarily see, see an amazing performance, but it was different to say when I was watching. You know it's obviously very different. But watching my Champions League final against City and Porto, there were loads of standout performances. Even the Carabao Cup final against Liverpool a couple you know years ago, I was kind of looking. There were for me there were more standout performances that day. Yesterday I was kind of there and I was like. Yeah, like we were all right. Like we were, we were quite good. And then for like periods towards the end of the game, we were very good, but we couldn't score. But also, I was worried that going, but well, yeah. But Liverpool in those first twenty minutes could also maybe been one or two up. Granted, they did not have you know miss the amount of big chances we missed. I think we missed five compared to to their one, which which says a lot. But I don't know. I thought for ninety minutes, like it was it was decent and and it was fairly good. I didn't really have huge gripes with the ninety minutes. It was just one of those like, okay, I've kind of seen it before. And then I kind of expect, you know, with it going extra, I kind of thought, okay, now, now we'll take charge. And obviously that didn't happen. Just thoughts on nine minutes. Like, I thought it was okay. Nervy starts, but then some, you know, players grow into it, namely like Gusto and like, you know, and yeah, just thoughts. Yeah, I was a bit concerned in the opening half an hour because there were so many really poor touches, breakdown in communication. I was worried the game was going to play out very similar to the one that happened at Anfield where Chelsea looked incapable of getting around Liverpool's press. They were going to press us high. They were going to win the ball back in in our half and then counter on us. Was it because they didn't have Nunes? They didn't have Salah? They didn't have uh, Jota, you know, arguably, and, and especially in the case of Salah, better finishers who are going to take those opportunities and, and create more things and, and, and uh, be a lot more composed in those moments, maybe. But I was very concerned that the team just didn't really... I hate to use the expression up for it because you don't know if it's a case of... I, I think it's more nerves than complacency, I would probably say, in that situation. But yeah, as you say, it was a strange game because at half time, we'd had one big chance that was saved, but I thought we were quite fortunate to go into the break nil-nil. 
And then there are even periods in the second half where I thought we like we we kicked off in the second half and within like 30 seconds we were being hit on the counter by Liverpool. And just stuff like that just didn't give me a lot of confidence that structurally the team looked that good. But then as as you say, as the game goes on and in that sort of last 20 minutes, Chelsea physically looked like they were the better side. They looked like they were suddenly overwhelming Liverpool. Liverpool looked like they were really struggling to keep up with the pace of Chelsea. And I agree. I, I went into extra time feeling confident that Chelsea would continue to attack. I mean, whether you never know whether Chelsea are actually going to take any of their opportunities. But I, I had a belief that the game, if it continues to play out in this way, at least Chelsea are giving themselves a chance of winning it. And yeah, the, the steep deterioration in basically any looks at goal after extra time or the beginning of extra time was was staggering, really. So I'd say I, I was speaking to a mutual friend, Adam Newson. He gave it a six out of 10 performance. I probably agree with him. I don't think it was anything better. And I thought the performance we had against Liverpool in the 2022 League Cup final was better than this one. Um, and yeah. I agree with you, right? I'd say, because... I'd say this one was potentially on par with the FA Cup final one. Yeah. I think we, were, we were a bit better in an attacking sense, this this one than that final. But that, that yeah. final, the FA Cup final, was one where I was like, um, it was more easier in understanding to lose because that FA Cup final, we weren't really, yeah. really, you know, the level we were in the, in the Carabao Cup one previous. Yeah. And I do think as well, finals, I, I agree with you in the sense that, like, I think people judge or, or look at finals in an unfair way. Finals are very weird games and they usually are very bad games like very bad spectacles to watch um i think that that is something to me that kind of gets forgotten about a lot of the time when we analyze things it's like people Daniel, i bring you back to the last final chelsea won at wembley 2018 against manchester united one of the worst games of football yeah i've watched manchester united didn't turn up till the second half chelsea just hit them on the counter one time won a penalty and then second half just defended for their lives man yeah. united were just pretty slow it was just a rubbish game that chelsea kind of hang on to yeah and it was not really memorable and I, I struggled to you know name you who played really well yeah. that day other than I just remember Tony Rudiger getting man of a match and sort of fist pumping and going crazy when it was announced on the tunnel and Thibaut Courtois making saves but I couldn't really rem- tell you about any how anyone else played exactly I mean that's the thing right it's like and, and, I, and I'd imagine if you're a neutral yesterday you wouldn't have been that entertained watching that final. I mean, I know you, you get a late go in extra time, but other than that, I mean, it wasn't... It, the result, I don't think, was that surprising, was it? Like, everyone kind of... I, everyone I saw from a neutral point of view thought Liverpool were going to win. Liverpool won the game. Um, the, the World Cup final um, last year was, you know, a very abnormal final. Like, you rarely ever get games that free-flowing, that high-scoring... So it's it's difficult to judge. And I think that that's where when we when we get to the extra time discussion, I think intangibles become more relevant in tactics and patterns of play and stuff. I think it becomes more, I think finals are much more, I'm not saying tactics are irrelevant. That's obviously farcical. But I, I, you do feel in finals that they become a leveler between teams. And it really does become about those kind of intangible, you know, things of who's going to be braver on the day, who's more scared to make a mistake, who has the conviction when those big chances come up. And I think that that really rid its head in the final, you know, 15 minutes of the, uh, of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Daniel, obviously look, Chelsea did miss chance. Obviously, you know, again, a parallel to, to 2022 Chelsea, you know, have a tight offside goal, Go against him. It's it's a lovely ball through from Palmer, who plays you know Jackson, and then Jackson squares it to Sterling, who is offside, and it's one. And that I guess was a rare sign of Chelsea sort of getting in behind. But the issue is, prior to that last twenty minutes, that was probably one of the only real occasions I remember Chelsea actually troubling that Liverpool backline. Was obviously then that you know mad sort of Kelleher save from from Palmer later on. And Daniel was also questioning that you know this was a game that actually kind of theme exper- experience told in the end that you know with Liverpool getting that winner and Van Dyke, but actually Chelsea's experienced players, I mean, didn't necessarily do much. Raheem Sterling was the most senior player on that pitch and he gets subbed off after, you know, 60, 67 minutes. And again, he was really not involved. It's not really to have a dig at him because I think if we're looking at it, we go Sterling was pretty quiet. Enzo was not great yesterday. You know, but like in terms of those two were maybe standouts, I thought, you know, generally like Caicedo was decent, you know, obviously he, he rolled Sky up and, and Jamie Carragher up as, you know, but understandably so. Um, but genuinely, I was kind of looking and go, but 
the best player on the pitch was probably probably yes, there was Botara Endo for Liverpool in midfield. Like genuinely, it was, it was just a weird game. It's what I talk about. It's weird to judge players because I thought, like when we look at these performances, like I don't, I genuinely don't know if Chelsea who was like really good, like Connor Connor put in a shift as he always does. He missed two, you know, he missed two chances. Like it, it's just quite hard to analyze, but it did, did just feel that you know, certainly it certainly for first off anyway. Some players like Sterling and Enzo didn't really didn't you know. I don't want to say go missing, but they didn't necessarily, they weren't really up to the level you kind of hope and expect, given that, you know, mm-hmm. Sterling's played in a number of cup finals before he loves playing at Wembley Stadium. Enzo Fernandez has played in a World Cup final. It's not just a single those two out, but those two players who actually out of this squad have some of the most experience of playing at this at this level. The only other one is, is, is say, a Ben Chilwell. Um, just, uh, just, yeah, thoughts? I would say Cole Palmer is probably the standout Chelsea player for me. I, I think he did everything within his power to to try and help Chelsea win the game against Liverpool. He obviously sets up the Conor Gallagher chance late on. I thought he really grew into the game, especially in the second half. And I think he's the one that really stands out to me as, as someone who can come out with their... With their head held high. I mean, Petrovic didn't make any like outstanding world-class saves that you would go, oh, wow, like that's one of the greatest saves I've ever seen. But he still made some important stops. Um, I think very much continuing with what he's done most of the season, which is be a, a calm pair of hands, you know, confident, competent player in, in the goal for Chelsea. Dezassi had some shaky moments in the first half, but I thought grew into the game as well. And there are a few times where I thought Malo Gusto showed his quality again. I again, I, I feel like Cole Palmer is probably the the stand standout player. And I mean that again, there was a lot of things about yesterday's game that were not that shocking in the end, really. Like Cole Palmer is Chelsea's most important influential player. Chelsea are bad at finishing chances. We get done from a set piece. I mean, it, it's it's funny at times how freakish finals can be, but then also how reflective they are. It's always that saying, right? Your your biggest weaknesses usually come to haunt you in the biggest moments. And I think that that was, the, again, the tale of Chelsea yesterday of, of not finishing your chances. We have unfortunately had a, had a... We haven't in recent weeks, but especially earlier on in the season, we had a real problem in defending set pieces. And we got away of one in, in, the, in normal time and then, of course, conceded late on in really poor fashion. So... Yeah, that's uh, other than Palmer. I don't. I don't think there are many Chelsea players that. Yeah, you're actually going to put up there and say, yeah, that was a really outstanding performance. Unfortunately. Yeah, I said Danny, it, it was weird. Like it was kind of like a, it was one of those. Like it was kind of like an okay team performance. It was weird. Like I said, there were not really stars. It was kind of one of the things you were kind of relying on Cole Palmer to redo something. As we mentioned, you know that mo- li- that little moment he gets for one to play that ball for Jackson in behind, and then Jackson square for Sterling, and he's again at centre, great chance. It's by Kelleher. Look, Danny again later on in that game. You see, and Kunku comes on. He somehow somehow contrives the, the ball not going. Dzazzi kind of has like a basically a, an open net ball kind of just the way it comes to him too quickly. Kind of balloons off his knee straight up into the to the arms of Kelleher as they kind of hits the post. He then also has a, a late chance. One one. So it's not. I said it's not like Chelsea. You know, didn't have a chance to win that, but it was kind of like they were on top of the last twenty minutes, Daniel. And you kind of felt that this was where they were gonna logically you kind of thought, well, Chelsea, you've got them where you want them. Granted, you've not won it in ninety minutes, but this is the time to strike this is the time now we like okay Liverpool's race kind of at that point you're looking Liverpool's race kind of around they've lost Ryan Graverberg early in this game best you know as the minutes gone their squad's going to get weaker by the second their, their squad's just going to get tired because they've also played midweek against Luton um so Daniel let's kind of I guess talk about the key moment next time obviously in the regulation Van Dijk has a header ruled out for 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 a, a endo offside for sort of basically blocking off Colwell um it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. 
In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dan, let's talk, let's talk about extra time. I'll be honest. Maybe people think it was extreme. I thought that was an utter disgrace, just given what we had seen. And I think it's a real shame when you look at when we're talking about this team a week ago and we're saying they were courageous at City, the way, you know, they kept they kept going, yes, they conceived that equalizer really, but they, you know, they were courageous and they stuck to a plan and it kind of seemed, you know, and you kind of saw them, you know, celebrating all those block stuff. And then it seemed like in extra time, Liverpool, Klopp and those players, Liverpool grew, grew every single minute and Poch and those players, it felt like you were watching in real time them shrinking. Mm. It was truly, truly abysmal. Now look, Poch is Poch didn't help himself post-match you know with with kind of um one of the things that got picked up uh the team felt that maybe penalties would be good for us I think the full quote is uh you know something about the team was feeling tired and that you start extra time was feeling tired and that penalties would be good for them but Daniel for me it's just so poor because even if we and Poch says the team felt that that to me maybe suggests that one, the coach doesn't feel it. So then you're the coach. You've got that time and extra time. That's when you convey your message across to those players and you lift them up and you build them up. Because again, I just compare, look at what happened to Liverpool and Klopp and how those players who were basically hanging on at the end of Nicey, how they rose in extra time and went again. So to me, that that's a full bear on poch. And if they are genuinely tired, how are they more tired than Liverpool who played midweek? Is that then damning of Poch's training methods mm. and all that? There's just kind of a lot to unpack because that extra time, I don't really think any of us probably predicted coming. Like a lot of us, if Chelsea were to lose that game, whether it that be in regular in, in extra time or in penalties, you know, it wouldn't be because Chelsea stopped attacking. You kind of thought Chelsea will keep attacking. They just won't take their chances. And then maybe they'll get punished or they'll lose on penalties. That extra time approach was so bizarre. And for me, and that's probably why this makes it one of the worst, because I said Chelsea, they were there for the taking. Liverpool mm. were there for taking. You watch the end of that game, they were on their knees. Chelsea somehow couldn't score. And then extra time, Chelsea just stopped playing. They, they, and then they just let Liverpool grow in confidence. It was truly, truly a bizarre approach to extra time. And Daniel, like, for all people who, who've got doubts on Maurizio Pochettino and whether he is the right man to be the Chelsea coach or not, that extra time period has done absolute done him absolutely no favours in improving his standing. That was, you know, and it's not, I'm not just saying extra time is down to Poch because the players, you know, it's a collective effort as well, but that was perhaps potentially the most damning 30 minutes of Poch's time at Chelsea so far. One of, yeah. I, I think that the, the issue is that, you know, there are ways you can, there, there are ways you can break it down, right? Are you someone that is, is more looking at the coach and as you've, I think just broken down correctly, like physically the mentality, what is the, the, direction and the instruction of the players like was the way that quote comes across is that maybe Poch's instructions were not to hang on for penalties and then you you kind of ask the question well why hasn't that message come across to your players why haven't they taken that on why aren't they being brave enough then I kind of come towards the next part of it where you you really in that last 15 minutes and I tweeted this that I think you saw the differences between two clubs and I think you saw the differences of why Chelsea have fallen so far in recent years from a club like Liverpool. And and the reason comes, of course, tactically, comes from recruitment. But I also think it comes from the pulse of the club, um, a real sense of unity around Liverpool that they have. And you can feel it within the fans and they have such a belief in the in the squad and the coach and the group of players that they can overcome obstacles and Jurgen Klopp in a major final brings on multiple academy graduates and this is not like nice cheap kind of token minutes for an academy player at the end of a 4-0 win this is at nil-nil when the game is still very tense but he trusts in those players and those players go out and they don't look overawed and scared to perform they look like they're going to take the opportunity and I think it reflects a club unified, a club ha- having a, a, a solid vision, a sense that they all come together for the greater good. These all sound like very um, cheesy, I guess, ways to, to to frame it right. But I, I do think it, it says so much in, in that kind of 15-minute period 
of the differences, right? And, and at Chelsea, we see uh, individuality kind of come up, uh, above the collective. We see players in that particular moment shrink, not get bigger, not have broad shoulders, not stand up, not be courageous. And unfortunately, it reflects Chelsea over the past two years. It reflects a team that has very few times proven us wrong. If you're more cynical about Chelsea, it's done very little to offer us major, major moments of happiness and overcome obstacles. This is, I think that that 15 minutes is so reflective of just more than a single head coach. I think it's reflective of a club that has lost any semblance of unity because I also felt energy-wise, Chelsea fans, and this is not having a go at Chelsea fans because there are periods where Chelsea fans are very loud, but I think Chelsea fans could feel what was happening as well because, and I can understand why Chelsea fans walk up to Wembley as I do and feel a sense of trepidation, feel like, oh, here we go again because Wembley has now become a place of disappointment for Chelsea fans and Chelsea fans have become conditioned over recent years to expect disappointment in these big moments because how could you not based on what's happened over the last 18 months and even before that, at the end of Tuchel's time when we lost a couple of, of finals to Liverpool before. So it's I think it just goes beyond yeah, a, a head coach where I know some people have concluded that it is all on the head coach. And again, I, I think it'd be silly and reductive and just like farcical to say he has no responsibility whatsoever because I think your points, you know, bring that up, right? Like physically, one of the, the big selling points of Bochettino was that as a, he, he, his teams are supposed to be physically um aggressive they're supposed to be better than the rest they are supposed to run harder run faster overwhelm you over the course of a game and again is it fitness i don't quite buy it. it's just down to fitness i don't quite buy that it's the players not caring to me i think it is more a psychological mentality thing of like players looking like they're fa- uh, scared to fail and then also they're they don't look like a collective of players they don't the, the club just still looks very disconnected. And I think whether you think this is relevant or not, I, I feel like in those moments when you have a fan base that's mostly disconnected to the club and the players and the ownership, and that there's a belief at the club that it's fractured, I think that that doesn't help either. So it's, I think it's, it's a culmination of things. I think it's more intangible over tactics in that moment. And again, it comes down to where you sit you know, whether your your main blame is going to Pochettino, fair enough. Your main blame is going to the players or is your main blame going to what's happened at Chelsea over recent years to get us to a point where, sure, it's a very limited period of time, 15 minutes or, or at least the second half or 30 minutes, sorry, in total. But I think it all comes together to form a club that has, has very failed to to create that spirit that is going to rise in, in moments. Because I think, again, Chelsea's lack of experience cost them even when we were more experienced on the pitch, if that makes sense, because the players didn't know how to manage that situation. I think I think there's a bit of like almost England against Iceland a couple of years ago where the players suddenly... You remember that you know dreadful night in France where they realised at half-time they were 45 minutes away from one of the worst international defeats ever like one of the biggest embarrassments and instead of having the collective spirit in that England team to rise to that moment and to be brave and to face that adversity head on and to and to overcome it and maybe use it as a moment of strength those players shrunk and they offered nothing and England lost and it it feels like to me maybe this is like again this may be a, a, a completely separate topic but I have felt in recent years like one of my big frustrations about Chelsea and our, our approach to the way we go about things, and especially from a tactical point of view too, is it feels like at times we're more scared to lose. We're more scared to we're more scared of the opposition than confident in our own ability to elevate our strengths. And again, maybe this all sounds like you know nonsense, but I I I do I think it's a, as always I think it's a combination of things. I think it's not just simple as saying. Pochettino is is solely to blame and he's the sole reason why we lost the final because if Conor Gallagher and other players in normal time take their opportunities then we're not having the conversation are we? Yeah no look I completely got I think in the 90 minutes I don't think really anyone actually can really fall really put any much blame at all on Mauricio Pochettino's door for the 90 minutes I think probably the main gripes come during the extra time and just the complete 
non-reaction. I mean, Daniel, I mean, you kind of mentioned it in extra time. I said, Liverpool's team, you know, the start of that second half of extra time, Keller in goal, Gomez, Van Dijk, Kwanzaa, Simicast, Endo, McConnell, Elliot, Clark, Diaz, Dans. Now, bear in mind the likes of Van Dijk. And look, I know defensively, that's still like a fairly solid team, but you're looking at Diaz, who at that point was like cooked. He's also played midweek. It kind of just goes to your point, but just a lack of belief that that Chelsea team can be that because that, I feel that Chelsea team should be beating that team out there, dude. Even with all, you know, yeah. the, char- the character that that Liverpool side has and they have that installed with their culture, with Klopp, etc. You, no one can tell me otherwise that that Chelsea team that we had out there shouldn't be, be still beating that Liverpool team given like the situation. It said Liverpool were more tired than us. There's not a world where Liverpool can't be more tired than us going into that extra time period. So no, it was, it was just so poor. Um, and Daniel, at the goal, we can see it's something that, you know, had been threatened. We'd seen it about 60, an hour earlier when Van Dijk headed home from a ball into box. And again, it's just been an Achilles heel of Chelsea this season, set pieces. Yeah, I mean, it really has. Like I, I, as I say, it hasn't been as much of a problem in recent weeks. Uh, at least it hasn't felt like it. I can't remember many set piece goals we've conceded in recent weeks, but it's it, pre-Christmas, it was a real big problem. And um you know, there were question marks over why Ben Chirwell in the set piece that led to Van Dyke's disallowed goal, why was he marking Virgil Van Dyke? Um and then in to concede a goal in that manner, um, so cheaply is a, a near post run, a flick on. It's just it's it's just, you know, abysmal, right? And and that is something that you can squarely put at the head coach. I think that is something that's fair, right? Because it's a continued issue structurally i mean frank lampard continued to get criticism for our inability to defend set pieces and i think it's only fair that you look at a head coach and if you for me i think it's fair if you see a pattern of things over a period of time um and it you know it it costs chelsea and it it really does so yeah i I think that it's just uh inexcusable really it's hard to know how to how to really analyze it that deeply it just shouldn't be happening yeah, no, no, agreed. I don't think that that extra time period we witnessed should be should be something we we witnessed. Like I said I genuinely think that's probably one of the worst. That just period was one of the worst things I witnessed this season. Because said it just went completely. It was you know if Chelsea had maybe been hanging on towards the end of the ninety minutes and they continued to play that way, that would have been made more sense. It was just not. Mm-hmm. Chelsea were on top of the, of the end of that game and they really should have should have scored. It was no, it was truly truly harrowing. And I said yeah, I said my criticism for the ninety minutes, you know is on kind of a standard, you know, we miss chances we can't create. But as I said, in extra time, we stopped trying to do that. It was almost like we were, it was almost like this, this weird belief, like we were scared that we would miss them, so let's not create them in the first place. It was like, well, no, surely still try and create them and back yourself that finally one will go in. You've got 30 minutes to do this and you should have plenty of opportunities. And yes, Liverpool had a, you know, as I said, that team in extra time, they still had, you know, a decent backline out there, but that was a backline, but we're still struggling to deal with Chelsea's threat because they've been struggling in the towards the end of the 90 minutes. No, it was, it was really poor. And I said, that was, yeah, it's not, you know, just solely Poch said, Daniel, Daniel and I've kind of listed out a number of things it could be, but the fact is that the fact that Poch was just unable to tie, turn that tide is still pretty worrying when you then just compare just what happened on the opposite touchline with Klopp. And it's, as I said, yeah, about to go into and, and as well, it's, I mean, quite, it's quite damning. This is a criticism people have had of Pochettino and it shows again in a cup final, right? Like, would any would Pochettino do what Klopp did in that situation? Would he bring on free academy graduates? And the answer is no, right? Like he wouldn't. He wouldn't bring on Leo Castledine in that situation. He wouldn't bring on Boniface. He wouldn't bring on um, Alfie. Even though he has bring on brought on Alfie Gilchrist at times, would would he do it in a more problematic situation in that in that intense situation? And and that's that's the that's uh, Tyreek George, right? Who I know has scored some brilliant goals for the academy in recent weeks and has really been gaining attention. So again, it I, I, that it just reflects where, again whether you put that solely down to the head coach of, but but then you ask the question. One of Pochettino's other big selling points is his ability to work and and improve young players. And why isn't he getting the best out of them at that situation? Someone said to me as well, like. We had some academy players on that bench. Why didn't we bring them on? If 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 there was such a a fear over our fatigue, which again you ask questions over, obviously the the issue um, that Liverpool played in mean, we we didn't. 
but still it's 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 serious questions right because these are those big moments and unfortunately my concern for the long term is that Chelsea could feasibly find themselves at Wembley very soon again um if we beat Leeds on Wednesday we're one game away from returning to Wembley at least for a semi-final and how do we make sure these things don't keep repeating because it's no point getting to a final if you simply can't take your opportunities. But then when a moment like this presents itself, you don't have, from a coaching point of view, a psychological point of view, the ability to to step up in these moments. You know, I, I think it's something I've, I've said consistently as well. I With a young team, I can deal with naivety. I can deal with coming up short against more experienced teams. I think what fans really struggle to deal with is when they see moments like yesterday when really we look like there's a there's an opportunity there to take and we don't take it or they just see a team that just isn't attacking like isn't isn't trying to win the game isn't trying to make things happen how as a fan are you supposed to get infused and inspired by that you don't you there's nothing that this is what has become so depressing about watching Chelsea over recent years is too many times I walk away from games going well the team gave me really nothing to to get excited about like i've i've had absolutely nothing to to feel confident about and that uh extra time period was was such a great demonstration of it yeah no i said i think there's ways to lose football matches and that was just that was just not one of them and it was just yeah it was just it was just really poor and it just kind of leaves you just going you know what could have been hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, Dan, you kind of mentioned, you know, Klopp and the trusting of youngsters. I'll throw in one of our first list of questions here that came in from from good friend Harry Saratov. How ironic is it that Bowley and Egbali were there to watch us lose the hands of pure profit youngsters when they took to the pitch? Do you think they saw dollar signs instead of footballers? Because that it was something I did notice. You see Liverpool, mm. I mean, they have an academy player in Conor Bradley start, but then you also see four, four, uh, four of those players also feature, uh, bring on sort of during the game and uh, on that pitch at the end. Then it just such it it did did feel just so strongly ironic. And look, they were not the reason Liverpool won, but they mm. certainly helped contribute to to a victory. And it just like it did just strike me like yeah, quite damning and ironic when you the whole sort of discourse around Chelsea this season has been will Chelsea sell Conor Gallagher or not, you know, the importance of making yeah. pure profit on the books, etc. And then you see Liverpool, and look, who knows how big a career those Liverpool players will have. But the point is, they, they like trusted to actually help yeah. the first team win a trophy. Whereas we're looking at Chelsea going, you can help us make some money, not win a trophy. It's just quite damning. Again, yeah. uh, probably goes to a wide point of a culture between the two clubs, the difference in culture. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the issue is right. And this is the big floor in the for pure profit selling academy players is number one, the the club have put themselves in that situation to begin with. No one else has it. One of the most, one of the things that really irritates me is when I hear people try and make excuses for it in the sense that some like mystical force, like it's some like, it's some weather disaster that like you you can't you it's like a uh, an earthquake or something like that a tsunami has come and, and forced Bowley and and Igbali to sell all of our academy players like there was nothing we could have done um no like we've put no one forced us to spend a billion pounds no one forced us to to put ourselves in this situation where financially we're probably going to have to sell some players and um, there is a reality of selling academy players but that was also such a great example of like why for me the overlooking of Cobham is just such a flawed concept because if you get to the final and you lose for me it's isn't the point to win isn't the point to make us isn't this whole idea of us winning and I know some people have uh, accused the club that actually it's not really about winning I can't quite buy that because if you don't win this club isn't going to make a lot of profit like it's not it's not a Man United situation where you've got this incredibly massive ground and you you are one of the biggest clubs in England. You always will be one of the biggest, club, biggest clubs in England. And it's going to be a revenue as being Man United. You're always kind of going to have probably. Um, so surely it is about winning. But then it shows you the flaw in that in that strategy that you are undone by. Well, not again. It's it, it's not 
an academy Liverpool player didn't score the winning goal. It was their most experienced player scored the winning goal. But it, 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 of course, there is the irony there. I know one of the big Gary Neville quotes has been doing the rounds, um, which, you know, it's a typical Gary Neville hyperbole just because he wants to get a quote for himself out there. But I can understand why fans look at that and go, there is a absolute irony there. And when you're seeing the amount we continue to spend on young players, it, it, it asks a serious question of this strategy and how we're going to rectify things in the summer. Yeah, no, no. I think Villani French is Klopp's kids uh, versus the billion pound, the blue billion pound ball jobs. I mean, to be fair to him, I think the blue billion pound ball jobs is spot on, even if that Chelsea team out there was did obviously not cost a billion, but Chelsea have spent a billion pounds. As I said, the, the Klopp kids, look, just to get out there, Liverpool's starting age before the final was older than us, and their starting age at the end of the game was also older than us. Yes, that may be affected by Virgil van Dijk. And yes, some of their players that came on as probably maybe similar stages to our players, but the point is before academy players who did come on don't have a huge amount of senior football experience between them. And it, it, it to me, it just did quite felt damn that, again, not to throw the boot in at a couple of hours in, in Nonny and Mudrick, but someone like Dan, I think it was Dan's up front, whether was more of a threat. Could, you know, he could score, was more of a threat mm-hmm. than those who come on, those Liverpool youngsters, again, with a lot less senior football behind them, look better than, uh, look more better and look more likely to, to thrive in that situation than a Mudrick and a, and a Nonny, you know, players Chelsea have spent, you know, considerable money on. The Mudrick one for me is such a is such a big example of where the flawed strategy, you know, it, it rears its head, right? Because I don't, you know, I just don't. I I think Mudrick. I, I've kind of, I, and I know this may sound harsh. I've just run out of patience with Mikhail Mudrick already. And I know again, I, I I always try and talk about how young players need time. I think my first, I think the problem I have with Mikhail Mudrik is, and this is not really about him as an individual. Again, it comes down to our strategy is you buy players who don't really have much football intelligence, who look like they can't really perform that well on the pitch. Um, so much so that Pochettino has basically forgotten about Mudrik in recent weeks. Like it was a bit of a surprise he even played yesterday. And that was pro- probably because it went to, it went as deep as it did. And maybe some options he would have liked to have had um on the subs bench instead and again like i i just don't you see kalamazan doy what he's done at nottingham forest this year we sold kalamazan doy for like what was it four or five million ridiculously low fee given current you know market insanity and i think he's already surpassed Madrid's premier league goals for this season we we've seen consistently how you know Callum this season getting football in a preferred position. He just he's just a better footballer. Like I'm sorry, he just is. Like I don't care how much Madrid was worth. Like the market. I, I'm not I'm not someone who sits here and looks at transfer fees and buys them. Like in terms of like yeah that that tells you who who a good footballer is. Like no like um and it just it, again it it symbolizes the difference right that you. I, I have confidence if Leo Castledine or Amari Hutchinson, who's doing well on only Ipswich, had the minutes Mudrick did, they'd probably be having a better and more effective season for Chelsea. Yeah, fair enough. And look, on Callum, I'm, you know, is not to go over ground. Look, I think at times also a change can be best for a player, and it probably was best for Callum yeah. to move on. So, I, you know, I don't want to, and I'm not saying you're doing this, I don't want to say go in a world where if Callum stayed, things are magically different at Chelsea. He's, you know, doing a lot better. Yeah. He may well but be doing you under, But you understand the point. It's like from, yeah. it just, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that Callum no, staying at yeah. Chelsea. No, no, Daniel, I completely agree. Yeah. And when you look at the fact that we sold him and Billy Gilmore and Ethan Ampadu for what, a combined 15 million pounds or something like that, then you see some of the fees spent. It, you, it's just absolutely laughable how it sort of got to that situation. And look, I know in some, some cases with like, I think Billy and maybe other players. Oh, I know Billy was under this ownership, actually, wasn't he? But still, yeah, it it does kind of make a point that these players who've sort of you come through the academy, even if yes, some of them were signed like Ampadu from Exeter, etc. The you know the fees we've kind of recouped for them and how well they're doing elsewhere. I remember the fees we spent on other players and you know really not the value for money. But yeah, no, Harry, that certainly that did that did stick out to me. Um, yesterday. Um. Daniel, I guess we'll just go on to listener questions now. Uh, RJ asked, how much of an impact does this defeat do in terms of a long-term from a future plan perspective, i.e. some players' futures reassessed? Is Poch more, now more likely to go? Because I, yeah. I, for me, it's like a tough one. It's one game shouldn't... I don't think one game should really change a whole lot. And it shouldn't necessarily... As I said, when we're looking at some of the players, it shouldn't necessarily undo what we've kind of seen in recent weeks. But I guess, you know, it's maybe easy to answer for Poch because I think we saw an opportunity yesterday for a trophy 
And yes, granted, I think even if Chelsea had won it in extra time, there would have, of course, been people going, well, look, look who, look at the side you're up against. Look at, there would have been caveats, right? People would have made some caveats for it, but he would have had a trophy and he would have had, you know, silverware, domestic silverware, something Chelsea have not had since, since 2018. And the fact there's not, and in fact that, you know, he didn't win and the, the situation kind of goes against him. I said, it's not done, yesterday has not done anything to really strengthen his cause. And if anything, it has weakened his, I would say weakened his stance at Chelsea. So I guess there is, is that in terms of players' futures, um, Danny, for me, stuff, I still feel it's just probably one of those where it's probably an end of the season. I mean, end of the season thing. I think some some tough decisions. Or I say tough decisions. I think some admitting and, um, you know, maybe allowing their ego to be bruised might have to to happen for this club to move forward. I think they will have they have to accept that this, mistakes have been made, money has spent poorly, and they will have to try and. You know, just kind of recoup their losses, a bit similar to the season, just gone, you know, selling the likes of Kuda Bali, et cetera, only after a, a season. But just thoughts, I guess, go on Poch and then the players. Because I feel it's it's perhaps more easier to talk maybe Poch long term after this, because this did feel, you know, quite a fatal blow. Yeah, of course, because it's such, you know, the, the people talk about these big games and they become sort of defining in people's legacies. And as you say, like, it, there's still quite a bit of the season to go and, you know, Chelsea still have an opportunity to end the season well um, in the Premier League, at least. Like, they still have the opportunity to find themselves in European football. And I, I think I've always been of the belief this season that, yeah, I, I need to analyse Pochettino in May. Like, I need to look at the team over the course of a whole season. I need to see where the team is performance-wise. In May, I, this is it was the same thing I sort of said about Graham Potter, and unfortunately, it became so bad under Potter that it was sort of cut short. But you know, if if from this position, this defeat is so damaging that any good work or momentum that's been built up in recent weeks is just completely forgotten about, and like in a month's time, we're we're losing games to teams we shouldn't be. We're clearly going to finish mid table, and there's kind of no hope, and it looks like the team has regressed to such a point. Then you know, I. I you know, I could see why people would maybe want to part ways with Pochettino. On the other hand, you know, Chelsea start putting runs of wins together. You know, they they find themselves again in a FA Cup semi-final or final. You know, you still put yourselves in a situation to potentially win some silverware. Uh, as we know, Chelsea are very bad at doing that, especially at Wembley Stadium uh, for quite a while now. So I, I can't, I'm, I'm, I think it'd just be silly for me to, to, to say Poch out. And then also like, I've been on some, and as I'm sure you are, you you get, I'm on like Chelsea group chats and people say, you know, oh, Pochettino has to go now. And it's like, the, the big question is who comes in? And I, the, there isn't an obvious answer out there. And the obvious answers that would have been relevant like five years ago of an older squad, I don't think are as relevant now. Like there are some managers who I just don't think would work at all with this squad. And... You know, a year ago, I was sat on this podcast. I think we were or close to a year ago when we, we beat Dortmund, right? And that was like one of Graham Potter's big moments. And people talked about how Graham Potter was the big, big problem at Chelsea. And if we, you know, if we let him go, everything would improve. And I'm not sitting here and telling you we need to get Graham Potter back or Graham Potter should have been sacked. But it, it shows you that things are no longer at Chelsea as simple as sacking a head coach. And they haven't been like that for a while. And I think that unfortunately people are reaching for very short-term solutions and I don't think they're going to get them um, in, in the way they hope. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. And I guess, Daniel, on some players' futures that need, you know, perhaps need to be reassessed after today or, it, again, is it, are you kind of also going, like, end of the season, but it's going to be quite maybe tough for some players to sort of come back from here, potentially? No, I, I think positively, like, actually, I look at the majority of the squad and there aren't many that stand out to me that I go... Yeah, I want to be parting ways with them in the summer. I think Silver's obviously going to be off. I think Sterling's future needs to be decided in the summer. Um, I think Mikhail and Mudrik either needs a loan or they completely cut ties with him. Um, I think it's more likely he'll be loaned somewhere, but he needs... He, I just don't see how in current Chelsea he's going to get better. Other than that, I mean, I, I, they they bought so many players now that it's like... it's and, and some of those have barely even played football consistently. Like uh, Romeo Lavia, right? Like we haven't even seen any of them this season. Nkunku has barely played this season. Uh, Connie Chukameka has barely played this season. Like there there are... Wesley Fofana is an easy name to forget, right? Like there are players within the group who I think need time to develop and I can't make a firm judgment on them. So actually, when I look at the bulk of the squad, 
is actually only a handful of names, which is a better place than last season. Like last season, I could name you several players who I was kind of ready to cut ties with. I'm not kind of of that of of, of that place because it's in some ways the club have forced themselves into this kind of um, alley with sp- spending so much on a group of players that you kind of have to give them time to develop. And then also with some of them, it may be a case of understanding their development plan and actually it doesn't look that good for for them in the first team. Are they actually, in a year's time, is Mudrick going to get better if he continues on the same path at Chelsea? Or would he be better served with a loan somewhere? Um, In the case of, say, Raheem Sterling, sure, he brings you experience. Sure, he brings you at least maybe 10 goals a season. But is he going to be the player to really elevate you? Is he at a stage in his career where he's going to lift the team? Or can we take his wages off the book and find a player who will do that. Yeah, no, fair enough. Look, RJ, as your question has said, and I think Daniel would agree with me, I think Chelsea are in a better state than they were last season. They have been a more enjoyable watch this season. They have played better than they have last season. I don't think that is bizarre. RJ, as for Bodge, I kind of feel that, I mean, Daniel, I, I kind of feel last, yesterday was kind of a chance to sort of escape the kind of constant phase we've been it felt like we've been in Poch in terms of a discourse around this fan base for weeks where we're oh, we're like one get ever only ever one game away from a crisis and we kind of need you know we put a run of form together and then suddenly it's the the end of all it felt like if we won a trophy yesterday then obviously that's a form of European football guaranteed and then you know it would have been a chance to you know that probably would have given him probably leeway to the end of the season and even if it you know the rest of the season didn't go great then you know it would just be better but it, yeah in terms of that aspect I don't think it helped and then RJ in terms of some players futures I mean, yeah, it's, it's quite tough. I said, I looked at that. I said, look at the team that, that played yesterday and said, um, you know, Petrovic has said, your player who, to be fair, one of those who just really does continue to impress, said, didn't have to do anything too outstanding yesterday, but did the job and, you know, can't really fault him for, for the goal we conceded. Has said that defence, you know, all, I think, between them had some shaky moments at the start of that game, but all I can't really, really fault, you know. And I said, Connor, you know, misses those two two chances. Uh, the question I can bend is like, you know, you should, should should it potentially be someone else getting into those positions instead of him? I don't know. I said, you know, I can't really fault. I said Jackson yesterday. I think is maybe maybe potentially harshly subbed at ninety minutes. I don't know yeah. if Daniel agrees with that. Do you think he was sort of potentially yeah, harshly yeah, subbed at ninety yeah, I thought he was harshly. I thought he was harshly done by because I think he was making a lot of runs that were causing Liverpool problems. Um, it was less it, more, and, and we've seen this in recent weeks as well. Like Jackson has become more of a creator than a scorer. Like he is someone that seems to be, and this is why the discussion about him becoming more of a, a wide player than a, cent, a centre forward has, has come up in recent weeks, is he is a really effective player. Like he is someone that make, makes movements that opens up space for others. And he did that consistently against some very good centre-backs. So yeah, I I really like Nicholas Jackson and I think Chelsea are a better team when he plays. No, absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think it was quite telling how worse Chelsea looked when not only he went off, uh, but also Conor Gallagher went, not, went off and also just kind of want to point out something that, you know, I feel like, Daniel, again, you may have said, but again, Chelsea, you've pointed, uh, this is quite clearly on display over the course of the game yesterday, the weaker Liverpool's team became the less competitive Chelsea. Well, it's just this weird, this weird sort of psychological thing that we might have also touched on a bit earlier. But yeah, in terms of players, look, I think you've I said you've got a decision to make over Sterling in the summer. out of, And that's really the only decision I think you've got to make out of the starters from yesterday. The rest of them I'd be, you know, pretty happy to see. To starting then, subs-wise, I guess it's a question of like, you know, what do you do with Mudrick? What do you do with Nonny? You know, Trev comes on again. I think Trev is probably off in the summer. Just, mm. you know, but again, I'd be, you know, and that's not necessarily I think he should. I think, you know, his, the way he's been handled throughout his time at Chelsea has been one of the most bizarre things I've seen. It's something I've said on for numerous times, but I'm also wary of writing Trevor Chalabar off because I feel like I've also, due to the way he's been treated near and nearer for every summer, I've said, oh, Trev will be off this summer, but he stays. So it's, I'm kind of wary about RJ. But yeah, no, it's, I think it said yesterday, it's just for manner. I think extra time when what people witness is RJ just going to take people quite a long time to get over. I think that's what's going to what's gonna hurt. And I mean, Daniel, just in the immediacy, we've got Leeds midweek. I mean, yesterday was our biggest game of the season. But now in the immediacy, Leeds and arguably the FA Cup games now become our biggest game of the season because they do represent probably our best chance of getting to Europe. Wolves won yesterday. We're down to 11th place right now in the league. And granted, it's fairly tight fit for European football. But, you know, given what we've seen in the league of Chelsea and Bessel, the inability to really put consistent performances together, it'd feel quite, be, be quite a brave man to expect European qualification from league position. So sort of kind of just on today, given that what we saw in extra time, we saw those players, you know, kind of shrink and Poch unable to to really get, get a tune out of them and change their ways. How confident are you that given sort of the devastating manner of that defeat? And we kind of see at the end when Van Dijk scores, we've lived Chelsea players fall to their knees, etc., how confident are you that 
Chelsea can actually, I mean, it, it's Leeds at home. Chelsea are the clear favourites, but this is a Leeds side riding hard on confidence. But, but, you know, in the automatic promotion play in places in the championship, they're playing good football. And this is a Chelsea team that, you know, probably their most devastating setback so far in the manner of it. And given where said what we saw in the tournament, how confident are you just in general that Poch can, Poch and these players can sort of get themselves back up again for for Wednesday night? Because I'll be honest, I'm actually, you know, just given the manner of defeat and how it happened yesterday, I'm actually really worried. If we, you know, lost in 90 minutes yesterday, I could have been like, okay, it was fine. But it just, I think as that game went on, my concerns actually grew for how we're going to respond from it because it just did feel such a big, big setback and such a bad, bad way to lose. Yeah, there is, there is concern because Leeds have great momentum, you know, going into this game. And, and it is kind of that classic, you know, they, they don't really have much to lose. Like they're not expected to beat Chelsea and... They're well, very intent- interrupt. Chelsea season could feel essentially be over. Chelsea season yeah. could feel over on Wednesday after, you know, yeah. potentially, you know, a, a few days ago being like, oh, we've got, you know, this opportunity to make it a really special, special week event could be over. That's just how, how drastic it is. Yeah. I, and, and they are a very intense team as well. They, they will bring a lot of energy. And um, in some ways, like I'm just looking at them tactically for some preview stuff that like they, I think there is opportunity for Chelsea to ex- expose them because, you know, Daniel Fark, his kind of approach as a coach is is very progressive and he wants his teams to play a short passing style of game. So you see championship teams sometimes, they, and, and, you know, Norwich, for instance, got well battered by a better Chelsea team. Of course, not same Chelsea team, but uh, yeah, they've, they've got to turn it around, right? And, and I think that this is, this is a, a very challenging period again for for Pochettino right how can he get get a response I mean he did post Wolves where things look very low in a different kind of way and we went to Aston Villa and we won right so I they have proven in recent weeks that they can respond to setbacks but this is a very brutal one and you know I think also for fans I think it's a bit like well sure like it's the FA Cup and sure like it's the chance of silverware, but like, do we really want to go back to Wembley anytime soon? Like there's, there's probably a bit of that as well. So like people will probably be turning up to Stanford bridge, like kind of a little bit, like not that up for it as much as, as they probably would have been. So it, it's, but this is, this is the brutality of football. Like they, they have to get round it. They have to find a way to win. They have to, they have to find a way to start winning a lot of games um, to make this season, some kind of success. Um, relative success based on um the expectations issue of getting European football because then a couple of days later it's you know Brentford away. I think after that it's Newcastle at home. Um and then I think the weekend after that if Chelsea were to win on Wednesday it would be the the FA Cup quarter final and a chance to get back to Wembley for the semi final. So it I sound so like lazy with this, but football does change quickly as we know and you can go from complete heartbreak to to ecstasy and like by the end of Wednesday night it could be a really good performance and then we're feeling at least somewhat optimistic but I think it's it's very difficult with cup finals to compare to like a general league defeat I think it's difficult with cup finals to overcome it within just one game um it, it does it does leave a mark unfortunately yeah yeah no no indeed and I said this was I said I just think the manner of yesterday was just so damn because it was just I mean I know it's a different group of it's a different group of players, so perhaps they don't actually have some of the baggage that, that other groups had. For a group of fans, though, that's like it was it yesterday. Although some very some similarities occurred, it just did just did feel a very kind of different taste of defeat compared to recent Wembley finals, where say have been where Chelsea have kind of gone toe to toe for the whole 120, and then you know narrowly lost on penalties, and in some cases been the underdogs. As said, yeah, no, it was it was brutal, RJ. Uh, Daniel, sort of next question comes in from uh, JL. We show interesting one. We showed today, but we desperately need the composure that Reese brings to the team. But Malo Gusto is one of our few reliable performers. So when fit, could Reese come into the midfield role he had at Wigan in place of the erratic Moises, who drives me nuts? I mean, that was kind of interesting to me because I actually thought out of the two, Moises Casido was far better than Enzo Fernandez yesterday. I said I thought Enzo Fernandez was just in general pretty poor. And yes, I know Moises Casido at sure can be erratic he you know potentially does give away quite a lot of fouls and you know clumsy fouls and maybe people argue at, at city way he was unlucky not to get booked i but i know force that question because i mean i don't necessarily all, all i'm thinking is that chelsea actually i don't feel chelsea in this period are actually missing reese james a huge amount like i don't think yesterday reese james being on the pitch necessarily changes a huge amount i don't know what you think because i think gusto is been been an able deputy in Chile. I thought you know was fine. You know a left back, even if just perhaps not as spe- you know solid or spectacular as a recent weeks. And 
I don't know, maybe unless you kind of think you maybe put Reese maybe sort of in a in a kind of role that we've kind of seen Trenton at Liverpool points this season. I don't know. I, I would have the question that came in. I don't necessarily think I, Chelsea should be looking at putting Reese in my team instead of Moises Caicedo. I said, I think out of the midfield two yesterday, I thought Enzo Fernandez was a far bigger, bigger worry than Moises, but yeah. just thoughts. It's just difficult to answer questions about Reese because they, they all are theory questions. Like they all are ones based on a Reese James that stays fit. And I hate to kind of dismiss the question, but we know that Reese James' biggest problem is not his positioning. It's not even his performances. It's his fitness. And it doesn't really matter because it's it if he's injured most of the time, which he has been for most of this season, and I'd be a bit surprised if he plays a lot more football this year, then, you know, with Reese, it's it's very hard to answer that question. Um, I can understand some of the logic behind it because, of course, he played a very good role there at, at Wigan. And, and there is a part of me that can absolutely see him play that kind of midfield role, even maybe a number eight role that could be quite good. I mean, when you look at his creativity, like the way he could maybe turn with the ball and get crosses in. And maybe from a fitness point of view, would it help him actually play midfield? a midfield role rather than like a wing-back role slash full-back role where you're expected to make a lot of sprints per game. But I, I you know, again, Reese is Reese just getting back to some form of fitness for me is, is, is the first step. Um, I think we can worry about his positioning later. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's fair enough. And as I said, yeah, Moises, you know, maybe not one of his greatest games, but also, you know, I thought we're just pretty, pretty sort of, as I said, you know, I think genuinely, though, like the best midfield, I'm not just saying, well, Tyrone Filippo genuinely just was just played so well yesterday, probably just outshone them a bit yesterday. But no, I've been pretty happy with the way Moises has been playing in, you know, the last last month or two. Um, yeah, and then uh, Rick commented uh, after my question said, uh, can't believe he had you next time. I backed him until now, but selling for penalties against the Liverpool youth team. Sorry, must go now. Yeah, um, right. That's all the listener questions. But we received, it was, yeah, just a truly disappointing day at Wembley has said the 90 minutes a kind of tale that we've seen before it kind of just was very similar the 90 minutes in a, in a sense to sort of that League Cup final we saw a couple of years ago what wasn't similar was that extra time performance and I think that extra time performance is what's going to irk people for a lot of, a lot of time before yeah we said it was bizarre just absolutely nonsensical and just really really poor in a moment then that I mean yeah Dan before we go I know people bemoan you know the, the 90 minutes etc the chances we could have we could have shouldn't have scored a game dude but the 90 minutes wasn't where we lost the game was it the extra time was where we lost it the 90 minutes is where we could have won it and probably should have won it before going to that but also the extra time is very much where we lost that game and extra time is understandably where a lot of the criticism understandably where a lot of the criticism deserves to go isn't it yeah absolutely i i think that unfortunately it's um it's another one of those what could have been and unfortunately that's that's a consistent theme at chelsea and when you've seen it happen so many times it's hard to know how to come up with new ways to to analyze it and um yeah, I think, you know, Pochettino, unfortunately, and the team, and, and this has been a theme at Chelsea as well, is there's, there's just not a lot of patience for for the team failing right now. And I think that, that unfortunately, that's going to put more pressure on performances and, and mainly results in the upcoming weeks. You know, it we are kind of at a stage again, and I don't think it's very healthy, but it's just the reality of the situation is that, you know, it. I maybe we're not quite here yet, but maybe we are. I don't know. I, I think once games become like individual games and every single game kind of becomes a referendum on the head coach I kind of don't know how you progress from that point I think you are kind of in life support mode and um, I think it becomes very difficult then to buy patience and to buy confidence and trust from fans because as we've seen that like with Pochettino is like people made their minds up like pre-Christmas and in Chelsea won games and then it became, once we didn't win games, it became about going back and retroactively basically wiping off good good things that the team had done before. So I, I, unfortunately, I think we're in that case now where like Chelsea may beat Leeds and then people will go, well, it's a championship team. Chelsea may beat Brentford and people will go, well, it's Brentford, you should be beating them. Or, or some other reason, oh, we didn't play that well. I think once we get into that kind of atmosphere, I think it becomes very difficult for a head coach to then, in the modern game, really get around that unless you are just continuing to win like and Chelsea aren't going to win every game between now and the end of the season there are going to be dips again yeah I mean Daniel I'd argue that we've been in that state 
prior to, to yesterday. I feel like you and I have had yeah. this conversation for the, you know a couple of months, a month or two, two prior to this as well. So yeah, it's just not a not a healthy state anyway to see, it. and it's just it's just real gutting because said yes, even even though yesterday the longer the game went on, and if Chelsea had won, like it was the win was probably going to feel less good, maybe you know less impressive than than it would have been at the start. It still would have just been you know it, it would have been kind of irrefutable proof, you know, for people to go well look for Poch to go look, I've delivered silverware. You know, I can be be the man. You you get me out of you know simple put, but you get me out of Tottenham. You get me into Chelsea. I can be be that man, and I think that's that's just what's so disappointing because it said, yeah, yesterday yesterday was yesterday was there for And I mean, Dan, honestly, like I can't think of a, a better opportunity a Chelsea coach has had in the last number of years, really, to win a final other than said maybe that Leicester game that you kind of referenced we we had under two because it said just everything essentially did just you know kind of go away. I said they have a goal disallowed for offside I know we do too but they they lose their squad is already bit fair you know bare thin and they lose another player one of their starters to injury dude the game goes on the game situation should suit us it kind of just felt like everything was kind of there for us yesterday as the game went on to win and we just couldn't take advantage so yeah incredibly mm-hmm. disappointing um before we go I'll get Daniel to give himself one last five Daniel tell people where they can find you and all your stuff yeah, just sign up Chelsea uh, across the socials, YouTube, podcast, and then X, TikTok, Instagram. That's the easiest place to find my work. Lovely, lovely stuff. As for us, we're on Twitter or X about Chelsea Pod. We're on all the usual podcasts back from Fridays, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please feel free to leave a rating and review whenever I do the pod out. Any likes and reposts go a long way. They help get the pod out there. Um, and yeah, it was an incredibly, incredibly disappointing day at Wembley. Uh, a golden opportunity gone begging certainly arguably a bottle job that that fateful that fateful word the, the blue billion pound bottle job uh, on display um but yeah football football moves around quick chelsea are back in action midweek against Leeds, so we will see you then folks for again what now becomes chelsea's biggest game of the season and a chance to to you know progress and still make something of this season because said chelsea have not gone two years two seasons without winning a trophy uh, in over 20 years so yeah the fa cup is chelsea's last chance to 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 change that but yeah yeah until the next episode everybody we will keep we will see you then keep the blue flag flying high sports social podcast network